Welcome, Pewter Report readers and listeners, to another edition of the Pewter Report podcast, energized by Celsius. Scott, we are here on a victory Monday, and boy, does it feel good because it was in doubt for a little bit. Let's just be honest. It was very much in doubt yesterday. <laughs> yeah. If that result hadn't changed at halftime, our post-game podcast would have been one of biblical proportions, I think, Scott. That would have been the the live podcast to be tuned in for, and not in a good way. Well, it would have either been incredibly empty in terms of the chat room with uh, everyone just... Like, oh, it would have been full. People would have been deciding, Like, I'm not dealing with this. It's the holiday season, you know. Uh, or it would have been really full, like you said. So, so yeah. Um, well, the, the thing is, is it's, it, it is Victory Monday. We're going to answer a lot of questions. We want to hear from you, Pewter Nation, Buccaneer fans out there. Uh, what are your thoughts on this team? So if, if you can, join us in the chat. Ask us some questions. We're here to answer them all day. Um, and we're also here to put up some of your thoughtful comments. And we're, we're happy to take some of your Super Chats. We had some fantastic Super Chat donations yesterday, um, even from, from a Falcons fan who right. was kind enough. I think he hit us with like four Super Chats. So. That was really cool. Um, the one thing that, that is super important that we start off our podcast with every time is the fact that, that John, these podcasts, the Peter Report podcast, powered by Celsius. Let's go. Another great show on tap today, sponsored by our friends at Celsius. And, um, you know, the thing, John, is, is it, it, we, we say it all the time, and it's so true. Celsius powers active lives every day with essential functional energy. After this podcast, we talked about it yesterday. You know what I'm doing? I'm, I'm getting ready to smash this. Celsius BCA plus energy, blood orange lemonade. It's a really good flavor. Not too sweet, not too tart. And then I'm going to go hit my workout for the day. So this is going to give me those electrolytes that I need, and it's going to fuel my recovery as well. So if you're looking for the, the difference between what John has and what he, he was holding up, the sparkling grape, um, that's more of the energy drink. It is just sparkling, and, and it's got that, that kind of uh, carbonated flavor to it. This one is not sparkling. So if you don't like sparkling beverages, give this line of Celsius a try. Where or where or where could you find these wonderful energy drinks? Well, the best place is Celsius.com. You can go to Celsius.com, hit that store locator, and then find the nearest place that sells Celsius near you. If you want to go to PeterReport.com, which we, of course, recommend because all of our great stories are there. So when you're there reading Bucks News, oh, yes. click on the Celsius banners. They're going to take you to Amazon where you can buy those in bulk. And if you're not quite sure which flavor you want to try well get the variety pack and then that way you can try a whole bunch and then you can make right. your informed decision that's the way to go and when you buy in bulk you see yeah absolutely that's the way to go because you i mean honestly the coverage you know all of them if you put them all together like they cover so many different flavors and all of them have been good so far i literally haven't had one that i dislike so i've got to start branching out and trying to find one i don't like um so that I can bring some honesty to this podcast, but I don't know if there is one. So we'll, we'll see. I'll keep everybody updated on on them as I try different flavors. But so far, I've tried seven flavors. Watermelon. I think. watermelon? Yeah, not That's the one. Watermelon. My wife loves it. That's her favorite. So it, my wife actually turned me on to 
the Celsius with her watermelon. And I was like, yeah. She's like, but they have other flavors. I'm like, all right, I'll just, and I I tried orange and grape. And I was like, wow, these two are fantastic. I I see you're crushing the grape today. Mark Fisher, come on, everybody. One case a month. It's a good product. I like the grape and support the the, uh, average you love. Might be a typo. The podcast. I don't know what the last part means, but thank you, Mark. (laughs) And then uh, Anthony Papp, Celsius, babe. Let's go. Love it. Yeah. Uh, and Edward says uh, he missed the podcast yesterday. It was a good show. It was a great show. If you haven't seen yesterday's podcast, definitely go back and check out yesterday's show. It was awesome. We talked about a ton of different stuff. We covered a lot of ground, as people say that I always like to say. And we're going to cover a lot of ground on today's show as well. We've got uh, we've got Pro Bowl votes coming out tonight, our Pro Bowl uh, selections coming out tonight. Always a process, Scott, that is sure to infuriate everyone. Uh, from yeah. those you just care about getting it right to those of you who are Bucks fans and want to see your favorite players in the game to those of you who think about it a little bit more and say, man, we know this is going to affect the, the contract conversations and, you know, uh, the, the player legacy conversations and, you know, the, the, the hall of fame conversations, maybe not for anybody in the box. I mean, you know, but if it, had, if Levante David had made the pro Bowl all the times he should have earlier in his career, then maybe right. it would affect it. So, you know, we know that the pro Bowl has, that type of impact, even though the process is horrible. So I think Scott, it's one of the most frustrating days of the year for somebody like me. You know, I'm I'm like kind of type A. I care about these things, right? right. I want things to be done well. I don't want to just check the box. And so right. it drives me crazy every year at the Pro Bowl. And then there's the people who are like, I don't know why we even pay attention to the Pro Bowl. We pay attention because it matters. You talk to agents, yeah. you know, it's part of the contract conversation. So sure. it's frustrating well, to me. Really what it does is is it gets you into the Hall of Fame. If you have X amount of those, um, it, it certainly helps build your case. Now, for a player like Mike Allstock, sure. who I think went to five or six Pro Bowls, yeah, he's not going to get into the Hall of Fame. But but it certainly helps build your resume uh, for players that, that are Hall of Fame worthy. And, and certainly – it helps out around contract time. I mean, let's let's face it. A lot of these agents will put those Pro Bowl incentives in there. Um, John, I, I got to admit, I'm an old school guy. I'm about, I don't know, about 18 years older than you, even though I don't look it. But um, it, there, there, there was a time yeah. when the Pro Bowl game actually was a hell of a game. Uh, these guys yeah. tackled. Drew Brees got hurt in the game. Matter of fact, Leroy Selman ended his career um, with a back injury in the Pro Bowl. There have been players that have been ejected from the Pro Bowl. Um, it used to be a full-on game. Then it turned into this kind of nilly-willy flag football fest um, that that is just kind of ridiculous. But it used to be a, a full-on game. And listen, I understand we've taken huge leaps forward as as an, an NFL product in making the game safer. Okay, but there was a time when it used to. Be, it used to be a fun, entertaining game to watch. Now, you know, they've scrapped it this year because of COVID. I understand why. Um, if they never play the Pro Bowl again, I don't care. Uh, you can just say right. it's a distinction, just like the All-Pro, right? But it, the game itself has gotten to the point where it's just ridiculous. I, I say screw the game. You know, Keep the little, you know, uh, it's a popularity contest is really all it is. I mean, the All-Pro uh, voting, I think, carries a little bit more weight. But, John, I, you had an idea the other day. You and I were talking about this, of, of ways that you'd like to see the Pro Bowl have a little bit more teeth and, and credibility to it. Talk about that. 
Yeah, for sure. And I did want to answer Brandon's question here. He's asked if Celsius were available in Canada. And I believe that they are, Brandon, based on looking it up. I believe that they are. So you can Google it and, and look into it a little bit more. I haven't looked into detail, but I'm pretty sure you can you can still get them in Canada. Um, so, but yeah, no, I think the Pro Bowl process is just so bad because they allow fans to, you know, fans are a third of the voting, uh, players and coaches are a third of the voting. And I mean, look at the, uh, you know, the uh, NFL Network top 100 or whatever. Um, you know, every year, it's just not a very good list. And uh, yeah. players and coaches, oh, you know, they are the ones that have problems with it when it comes out. I'm like, well, y'all are the ones that voted, but some don't vote and most don't yeah. vote. And then you vote based on, oh, we played this team and this guy had a great game. So I'm voting for him. Well, that doesn't mean his other 15 games right. could have sucked. And so the process is just really bad. Um, yeah. We need to basically remove everyone from the process that currently <laughs> participates in it and basically make it a totally different group of people. The only people who don't right. have a say in it really unless we vote as fans are, are the media. And I'm yeah. not saying the media necessarily knows what they're talking about all the time, but we need to pick people who do know what they're talking about. They don't even have to right. necessarily be media people. They could be a former coach or a former player, you know, mm -hmm. but we're like that want to, that want to be a part of a committee, make a committee of 50 people, make them accountable, literally like check yeah. their hours uh, like in a database of tape to make sure that they're studying these players. Like <laughs> I, I would just like to make like official, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. That way, when the when the list comes out, it's a big deal, and there's a lot right. of respect. Now, people still complain, but sure. there is a credibility behind the process and accountability behind the process that just right. isn't there at all right now. I mean, I yeah. love fans to death, but you're not qualified to vote on the Pro Bowl. You know what I mean? Like, it's just yeah. so it's a popularity. I mean, look, Alex Papa is literally leading player. voting. Yeah, right. So there's yeah, there's a bunch of. Right. I mean, Zach Cunningham for Alex the Kappa. Texans is having. Yeah, Alex Kappa, Zach Cunningham well, for the Texans having one of the worst seasons. It's it's. Yeah. It's a mess. I mean, it, it just, it, you know, Kappa's only doing it. And Greg Allman literally wrote an article about this. He yeah. Kappa's literally only leading the voting because he's at the top of the list alphabetically. And fans are just yeah. literally going through cards and tackles and just yeah. clicking the first guy. I mean, it's just, come on. like, yeah. And that's a third of the vote, though. So, I mean, players yeah. and coaches just probably won't vote for Kappa. But, by the way, right. Kappa's having a really good season, Scott. So, I'm going to yeah. totally backtrack on what I was saying before there because I think you know, if watching Kappa against Atlanta, which might have been his best game of the season, I was just like, man, this guy really is becoming a player before our eyes. There have been – how many times have we pulled up a Kappa clip where we were just like, wow, he got destroyed this season? I mean, that was the first happen. two years, right? He just couldn't match. Yeah. But it just hasn't happened this right. year. Look at this Look at this rep of him against Grady Jarrett. He just buries Grady Jarrett. Look at this play. He's your right there guard. He is right, right there guard. Last time I checked, Grady, Grady Jarrett's a pretty good player, right? I mean, he's a Pro Bowl guy. I mean, he's really a pretty good player. Good player. Yeah. Elite player, <laughs> so. yeah. Yeah. I mean, and Kappa was saying – so, you know, I am – I don't want to rip on Kappa. He's playing great. But if Ali Marpet doesn't make it, might have to throw yeah. some things. I mean, there's – yeah, I think he will make it. <laughs> yeah. But So here's my question to you, Scott. Who's Here's my question to you. Yeah. I, I know we've talked about Levante David, but which Bucks do you think do make the Pro Bowl this year? Are there, are there guys that you say they're locks and they're going to make it based on either the competition in the NFC or the way they've played this season? Um, it, I, I really don't know because I, I, I think, you know, and I'm, I'm going to side with Mark Cook on this one a little bit. We've had some some uh, off-camera discussions about this, right, in our, our Peter Report group chat. The thing is the Buccaneers have had a lot of, of primetime games this year. The problem is they've lost most of those primetime games. And a lot of the guys that, that, that probably, you know, wanted to or needed to make uh, like a big time play uh, to really show up and show out, they, they really didn't, you know. And and so I'm just a little concerned that that there's not uh, 
that there, there, there isn't like those signature plays, those, those big time moments sure. on, a, on a big stage. And like as much as I love Levante David, Good and, point. and you know what? I, I got to backtrack a little bit. I mean, Levante's numbers actually do stack up pretty well in, in the NFC. Um, the problem is, mm. is Levante David has been snubbed so many times that that he doesn't have that that gravitas, the credibility. He's not that household name because yeah. of that. And, and some guys make it just due to reputation. Like Bobby and Wagner the, could have a down year, right? right? Right. I mean, even Luke Keekley. There, there was a couple of years Luke Keekley literally missed like seven games and made it over Levante David, who played at like fourteen or fifteen. You know, and it's just like that's wrong. But but the problem is, is it, typically over the course of, of the Pro Bowl, in my 25 years of covering the NFL, it goes something like this. Uh, the year that, that you have that you have the, the, the season, the Pro Bowl caliber season, and you've never been in, usually uh, you don't get in, right? Um, but then the next year, people remember, oh, he was snubbed, so he gets to go in this year, as long as you have a similar sure. type year. Now, for someone like Shaq Barrett, see, last year if Shaq Barrett had – 13 sacks, he wouldn't have made it, right? Right, he, I, I agree with you. I mean, he had to get like 18, 19, he ended up with 19 and a half. He had to get 19 and a half sacks to make it because you can't leave the all-time leading sacker in, in the 2019 season off of the list. So that's the problem, I think, with, with some of these guys. Like Carlton Davis, I think, has had a Pro Bowl caliber year. The problem is, in what game did Carlton Davis really show up? The Thursday night game against the Bears, right? He had interception. Right. Did really well. That's a Thursday night game. Who was watching? Right. He had the he had the pick in the Giants game too. The, he did. He it wasn't did. a great play. It wasn't. Didn't have to be yeah. a great play to, to right. you know. To, it was a bad throw by Jones. But that yeah. was a Monday night game or Sunday night game. It was a night game. Yeah. So yeah. so you, you've got New York watching, but but who else? Right. With the Giants being down. Right. The Giants not not having a good year. With the Giants being down, and the Buccaneers, you know, having some more appeal now. Uh, what I'm saying is, is that didn't really happen in, in the Packers game. It didn't really happen on Sunday night against the Saints, where it's Drew Brees and sure. and and, uh, and Tom Brady. So I, I think that's the problem. I wouldn't be surprised if literally just two Buccaneers made it this year, or you could Who? end up five. Who I don't know. I think Tom Brady makes it uh, just yeah. based on the fact he's Tom Brady. He's having a really good year. I, I think NFC, all- NFC too, yeah. NFC quarterbacks. I think it's like Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and then there's kind of and like a. Brady. I think it's yeah, I think, Brady. So, yeah. Sure. So I, I think Brady makes it, and and the other guys. I, gosh, I really don't. I don't know. I think Carlton Davis deserves it. I would put Tristan Wirfs mm-hmm. in there, but again, this is one of those things. Wirfs is a rookie. He's not going to make it this year, but next year he'll make it as long as You're he right. has that season. Right. No, no I. I Right. I think you're I think you're onto it for sure, Scott. I think that there's a lot of w- truth to what you're saying. Like that there is isn't always the case that players make it in their most deserving year. Sometimes the credibility kind of catches up with them and they might be good, right. but they might not be totally great uh, at that time. So let's jump back to the Pro Bowl discussion in a second because I want to touch on these two things before we get to Stefan's question here and his super chat donation. Definitely want to recognize Eric uh giving up giving the ten dollars over in the super chat. Eric is just awesome. He's awesome, dude. He's getting ready for his deployment. Um, he's missed some of the live shows, and we miss having him on here for sure. Want you to stay That's safe, Eric, for sure. We will be praying and thinking of you for sure, and Thank definitely you for touching sure. base as often as possible. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And never forget Rodney Adams over Stacey Coley. That's way back in the day reference, Scott, to Trevor and I on the Locked On NFL Draft podcast. I think when we were first starting out, and then we had a debate over Rodney Adams or Stacey Coley. Neither of them ended up doing anything, I think. Yeah. But I don't even remember who was on what side of the debate, but Eric always remembers and reminds me. So appreciate cool. the heck out of you, man. You take care of yourself and you stay safe. This whole chat appreciates you for sure. If we could send you yeah. a super chat, we would for sure. So we appreciate you. Um, Stefan, uh, good question here. If we could go back in time, would we still have signed A.B. and Fournette, Scott, considering distractions and offensive continuity issues love the pod boys appreciate you stefan what would you do what would you say to this guy i think everybody knows my answer but well it, the interesting thing is is uh, I, I don't mind the ab signing because i i was here last year i i saw mike evans go down with the hamstring and then in detroit of all places chris godwin and scotty miller both out for the year with hamstrings so so by the time you know week 16 and 17 rolled around Jameis winston was thrown to brashard perriman and scrub mcgee I mean, that was it. There wasn't anybody else to throw the ball to. And and so – Sean Berryman got paid off that off those oh, three weeks. And, and he stepped up. The problem is is it wasn't enough. And and, and the Buccaneers lost two games by by an overtime touchdown, pick six by Deion Jones uh, in week 17 against the Falcons, and then by three points against the Houston Texans. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- th- here's the thing. It's kind of like – um, do you, do you want it, to, it's, it's like it, you're, you're in Florida now. Okay. So th- there's two ways you can buy a cruise, John, cause I'm sure you and your family are going to take cruises at some point in time. They got them in Cape Canaveral. They got them in Tampa. You can leave out of uh, Miami. If you want to jump on a cruise, there's, there's two ways to go by doing it. Number one, you want to book your cruise early, right? So you're reserved a spot on the cruise. And number yeah. two, you can wait until the last minute and score a hell of a deal by buying some remnant space, right? Because when when the, when the ship's about 80, 90% full and, and it's about you know three days before they're leaving, they're going to put everything on sale, try to fill that bad boy up, right? So that's that's it. So what the Buccaneers did was with Fournette was they went out and bought early, right? Not maybe knowing that that a player like Le'Veon Bell, who probably would have been a better fit, would have been available later on. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of a gamble that you take here. I, I don't mind the, the right. Antonio Brown signing. A lot of people think I hate Antonio Brown. I don't. I just want to be productive. Right. I want to, I want to see the Antonio Brown we saw yesterday against the Falcons. Fournette yeah. at, at the time I thought it was it was a decent signing because you were getting close to start of football season at that time. I thought they needed another running back. I was actually more excited, believe it or not, about the Fournette signing than I was even Lashawn McCoy because I didn't oh, think no. McCoy had, had a lot oh, left. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I think everybody knows I wouldn't have signed Fournette. Um, you know, I would have probably waited or just found a, a another a running back option. You know, that, but again, they didn't pay either of these guys hardly anything. So in that way, like it's not a big deal. I'm saying what I would have probably done, but it, it isn't the end of the world to me that either right. happened. You know, some of the situational usage, like Fournette getting almost 20 touches yesterday, was pretty frustrating. I think uh, when there's so many. I mean, there's think about yeah. all the players on the team that could be getting those touches. It's like. We've right. talked about this a little bit, Scott, this season. Like, there are very strange uses of isolation of certain personnel in this offense. You know, Nate Tice pointed one out on Twitter last night. He's like, "Oh, I have all these weapons. Who am I going to isolate on this on this post pattern?" You know, right. oh, let's isolate Cam Braid. I'm just, you know, and Cam Braid makes the play, and it's fine. You know, Brady delivers it. It's perfect. Right. You know, it's great. But it's like, okay, if we get the ball in the hands of a more dynamic player here, then maybe we break a tackle and 
turn this into some yak. And so it's just, I mean, we right. saw with the three tight ends looks we've talked about the last couple of weeks, like it's like a clutch down and they're going 13 personnel. You know, we've, we've got a huge, we're driving, you know, the bucks are driving, got a huge second down and 10, you know, to go and they're giving the ball to Keyshawn Vaughn on a, on a, on a draw yeah. play. It's just like, what? Like, right. These are the guys like in the clutch moment. I mean, you haven't got anything going on offense. You've had four drives sell out, and now you're giving the ball to Keyshawn Vaughn and a gotta have it play. Like again, it's like it's blocked. It's blocked. It's there. The surface they're running to is great. Like it was a good play call, honestly. Even though I don't like running on second and ten, it was right. the Falcons were giving it to him the way they were lined up. I mean, they had three guys to Ryan Jensen's left lined up three defensive mm-hmm. linemen. They had one guy and a walked up linebacker. Yes, you know, so, I mean it was blocked right. up perfectly and and. Worf's yeah. got pushed back a tiny bit, but Vaughn just was slow and fell down, basically. I mean, he did, yeah. you got to well, get your feet. Keep in mind, they threw the ball one time to Keyshawn Vaughn. He dropped it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I'd like, let's, Keyshawn Vaughn's had eight, eight, eight targets this season. He dropped straight up three of them. Yeah. He bobbled one and then ended up catching it, but he was out of bounds, which yeah. I count that as a drop against the Bears. And then he fumbled one against right. the Bears as well. So, I mean, I, I I want the guy to play like I honestly he yeah. his run was for three yards the other day right. and he he made guys miss in, at the line of scrimmage on a poorly blocked play right. in a way other guys haven't it was one carry you know I want I would love to see him run the ball more but I, I would like to see him too but the thing is is in that situation you have to understand you're you're a rookie yeah. and you're kind of getting like the second come around right like we 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 tried you early you made some mistakes mm-hmm. I was in practice you'll get back in the flow and then what happens he he gets in there. He trips uh, a little bit over Tristan Werps or falls down, whatever it was, and then they throw the ball to him and he drops it. it, it you know, he's not helping himself. Yeah. Like, if you're going to give you five plays. You got to be perfect on those five plays to get right. 10, right? To get more. Right. So th- that's the thing. It's like, if you look at Scotty Miller, like, he had two targets right. last week. One of them was a 48 yard touchdowns. And then your snap count article on PeterReport.com this morning, John, how many, how many snaps did he get this week, right? Triple. Almost tripled up to 13. Yep. So again, you're right. You got to make your snap count. If you want more, you got to make them count. And Kashawn Vaughn has just not done that this season. And so again, I I, I'm actually like I want to see what Kashawn Vaughn can do next year. I do. I want to see what he can do in on this team. Um, I don't want to go into him with as the guy for sure. You know, I mean, obviously Ronald Jones will be here, and you know Fournette and McCoy, I'm sure will not be. It's it's really those two guys right now. I mean, the only two guys that are that are guaranteed to be in this backfield are are Keyshawn Vaughn and, of course, Ronald Jones, who will be entering, John, his contract year. Yeah, and obviously you're not resigning him. <laughs> so I, I can address that right now. We're not right. resigning him. I don't care if he runs for 2K next year. <laughs> right. I, I just saw on Twitter, and I forgot who it was. Uh, it might have been Pro Football Talk's Michael David Smith, and I think D. Orlando Ledbetter, who's the Falcons um, beat writer, retweeted it. And it's like Todd Gurley's making $5.5 million this year. And Brian Hill makes two point one million, and Ido Smith is making seven hundred and sixty thousand. And Ido Smith, the guy out there getting the carries and being the featured back, right? Right. So it's just a waste of money. Yep. So yeah, I, I agree. And I wrote about this in my Fab Five, and I'm going to say it again. Even for even the fact that Rojo's fourth or fifth in rushing, whatever he is right now, um, you don't pay running backs; you draft them. And, and the one thing about Seattle that I really admire, the re- reason why Seattle's always had a pretty strong running back uh, game is because it, they it's just a conveyor belt of running backs. Mm-hmm. Everywhere from the first round with Rashad Penny to the seventh round with Chris Carson, they will draft a running back every single year 
sometimes even two in the same year in those years, John, where they have like, you know, nine or 10 picks, they'll draft two running backs. And, you know, and, and yeah, they, they burn them and churn them. But the thing is, is they, they never pay them. Yep. And that's yep. the beauty of it. And they always have somebody in the stable. They always have somebody raring to go. And it, it might, you know, Chris Carson's better than Rashad Penny, who was the first round mm-hmm. pick. Right. So, it might, and yeah, they overdrafted the heck out of Penny, but you're right. Yeah. Like, which, which again, they broke their own philosophy in doing that. I mean, I know it's yeah. not paying the running back necessarily, but that's still, I mean, that's a first round contract to a running back who won a team that is consistently churned them out from wherever they got them. So I don't know what they were thinking with that pick, but you're absolutely right. They well, are terrific the fighting for it. Here's the one thing. If you draft a running back in the first round, right? And remember, the Seahawks drafted like in the late 20s because they were a playoff team. Right. So it's almost like a borderline second round pick. But if Penny were to hit and be the guy, then you could do the fifth year option for one more year. Then you get a starting running back potentially for five years. And I think that's kind of what they were hoping and thinking is that this guy can come out of the gate and be the starter by year two. We could have this guy for four more years as yeah. our starting runner. And then once he's, you know, used and abused, then you discard him at age 27, 28, right? Mm-hmm. And then you have somebody else in, in the hopper coming up behind. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, that's the process, and that's what the Bucks need to follow. It, You know, Billy's exactly right. Billy says here, and we appreciate the super chats, uh, Jack um, and, and Steve. I'll get to your question in a second. But Billy says, scout them, scout them pass-catching running backs this year. He's exactly right. Arian said it at the combine to us. This past year was like the first question I asked him on the box beat was what right. traits he looks for in a running back when he scouted him. He said, I think you can teach him protection. You got to teach him all that. Everybody can run it, but they got to be able to catch the football. And I mean, big swing and a miss on that this year. The Bucks I, I tweeted about today, Scott, 15 drops from their running back room with two games left to go in the season. Yeah. No other team has more than 11 this year. Cowboys have 11 between Ezekiel Elliott and, and Tony Pollard. Right. I don't think another team is even in the double digits this season. Right. Um, and oh, then last year, you got a quarterback who loves throwing the ball to running backs. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, so it's, I mean, even more, it's it hurt the offense even more, but yeah. 15 drops between the four of those guys this season. And the last time a team had more was 2017. The last right. time a team was even close to 15 was 2017. Yep. 49ers dropped 16. So the Bucks can eclipse that. It is a bad mark to eclipse. Uh, it has not been good for them in this capacity. And we haven't even gotten to the fact that they hardly ever make people miss. Uh, or or pick up yards after the catch. And so there's, yeah, it needs to be overhauled basically uh, from a pass catching perspective. It'll be a priority of the offseason. It doesn't need to be an expensive priority. There are lots of guys who can do this. It just happens that none of them are on the box. <laughs> exactly. Speaking Steve of running backs, what their ceiling is. Yeah. Mm. Tristan Warp's ceiling is the best tackle in the NFL. And he can do that. I think that he can become the best right tackle. And I think I think he could become a damn good left tackle, but he could be he could be the best right tackle in the league. He's really close yeah. already. Which is, which I mean, is yeah, right, because there's not that many great right tackles. I mean, there's there's a few great right tackles, but you get through the top five or six right tackles, yeah. it falls off pretty pretty quick. Um, there's more good left tackles because teams were starting to put their best tackle on the left side for years. Then, right. you know, defenses were like, oh, let's put our best passers on the other side. Now the right tackles are starting to catch up, but it's yeah. still kind of a trend. Like you're seeing better, more more depth at right tackle every year. But it's taken a while. It's been a transition period for right tackle. And I would say right tackles honestly have the harder assignments typically in pass protection. Now the quarterback can see. So maybe the quarterback's able to move a little bit more and help them. Right. But I still think quarterbacks mostly feel and, and see edge pressure too. I mean, the depth of their yeah. drop, they're seeing it from both sides, really. So I consider them equal value right and left tackle. And, mm-hmm. and I think Werfs can be absolutely the best one in the league. We talked about him for the Pro Bowl too, Scott. Yeah. And 
you know, what's interesting about Worf's conversation, and I wrote this today, I wrote over at PeterReport.com, you can go check it out. You know, I wrote about the Bucks that should and shouldn't make the Pro Bowl. In my opinion, four guys should make the Pro Bowl. Four guys shouldn't make the Pro Bowl that are probably being considered for it. And one of the guys I said shouldn't was Worf's, not because of his level of play. He's played at a Pro Bowl level. He's the only guy on the shouldn't list that I said I thought he played at a Pro Bowl level. The mm-hmm. only concern with the only issue with Worf's right now is that if you look at the other guys, it's like an unbelievable year for offensive tackles, especially in the NFC. I mean, mm-hmm. Bakhtiari, Trent Williams, Taylor Decker, Detroit, who's who the Bucks are playing uh, next week, has had a terrific season. Um, yeah. Teron Armstead for the Saints. I mean, there's just so many players that are having unbelievable years, and those guys are just like a little more tenured. And you're taking three. Um, and I, you know, I do think there's something to be said for Brady's you know be, ability to feel pressure and get the ball yeah. that helps tackles too. And some of the other guys definitely don't have that on the teams they play on. So there's a lot to consider. I would be fine with Worf's making it, obviously. But the NFC is unbelievable at tackle this year. Yeah, I mean, there are so many good ones. Great point. That's a great point. So the, here's one thing to keep in mind when it comes to running backs. And, yes, the Buccaneers, a little birdie told me, are looking at pass-catching running backs in the draft. And there's, there's a couple of really quality ones. Uh, you know, we were kind of man-crushing the other night on Najee Harris from Alabama. He's and, good. Travis Etienne, I mean, you know, I, I don't think the Buccaneers are going to go that high for a running back, but my gosh, if they did, uh, that certainly would would be uh, a player that could fit in and fit in nicely. Yeah. Talk about an impact player. Um, it, it, one thing, the, one thing else that's that we should bring up that's it's interesting is in free agency, and it's going to be a really weird year in terms of free agency. If you went back and read my SR's Fab Five about the future forecast, you'll know that the Buccaneers are about $32 million over the, the salary cap right now. And why that sounds good, that's fine. There's a lot of free agents on this team, a lot. A lot of high-priced guys. Sure. Guys like Devontae David, Chris Godwin, uh, Rob Gronkowski, Indomitka Sue, Shaq Barrett. Those players are not under contract. So that $32 million is going to get eaten up like that. The other thing is the cap is dropping from $198 million to about 175, 176 million. So instead We're of guessing, going, yeah, 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 that's the floor, I think, up, right? Correct. So they're going up 10 million. It could be dropping about 23 million, mm-hmm. and so that's that's a real negative thing. But uh, it's worth noting. And Anthony Pap one mentions James White, the Patriots running back, who is a supreme pass catcher out of the backfield. Matter of fact. Uh, Three running backs that Tom Brady's thrown the ball to that were Patriots or are Patriots, Rex Burkhead and Deion Lewis included, are also available in free agency. So uh, Tom Brady could be reunited with one of his guys from his New England days, John, and they might have a might have a situation where they draft a running back to eventually replace Rojo, but then also sign a running back mm-hmm. uh, to help them out immediately in another quest for a Super Bowl push. Yeah. with a guy like White or Lewis or Burkhead that can catch yeah. the ball out of the backfield. Clearly, it's a position they feel like they want to stockpile people, and I don't think that's going to change next season. They recognize Rojo is not a three-down, desirable three-down guy. And maybe he becomes that next season. I mean, I'm not ruling anything out. It would be crazy. Yeah. But um, I think the biggest issue is, you know, this is a situation where they know we've got to get guys to help take share the load with Rojo. Not necessarily the running load, but some of the pass catching duties and they feel fine splitting those duties between other guys. Um, so that's, that's how they view the position. And that's why I think they're guys like James White and Rex Burkhead will be in consideration for the box. Right. For sure. How about Antonio Brown? We had a question here. Do you, yeah. do you think that Antonio Brown will be back next year? If you had to bet, John, if you had to bet money, where would you do it? 
No, no chance. I just don't know how no. he could be. I mean, I'm just saying, if you had to place a bet, if you had to wager, where would you do it at? Oh, where would I do it? Oh, yeah. I would definitely do it at my bookie, Scott. And well, I would... you know what? We're going to read the my bookie read right now. Then we're going to answer uh, Hezo 813's question. So it, you probably know this, right? You can look at the calendar and you can tell it's the most wonderful time of the year. Can't get here soon enough. We all deserve a win. The Bucks got one yesterday. And we all deserve a little extra money in our pocket, too, maybe in our stocking even. We all deserve to have a chance to have a little fun. The only place you're guaranteed to get all three is at my bookie. They're the only sports book that doesn't care whether you've been naughty or nice this year. They've got gifts for everyone. You can bet on the NFL right now. You can bet on the college bowl games right around the corner. We just had the NHL schedule uh, drop. Actually, not the schedule, but, but John, they've, they've really reconfigured the, yeah. the NHL into those four different divisions. And we're going to have the schedule sooner rather than later. The NHL and the NBA are set to start in January. So even more uh, stuff to bet on, in addition to college basketball, which is underway. So if you want to place your bets, do it at one place, mybookie.ag. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuff. It's a 50% deposit bonus up to $1,000. It's a great place to start, but we all know that Christmas is about getting those presents under the tree. And at my bookie, that means a huge deposit bonus, epic giveaways, and free contests. It's simple. Sign up, enter the promo code Pewter, and get your deposit matched halfway up to $1,000. Head over to my bookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021 with some extra cash in your pocket. This winter, bet with the best, bet with my bookie, and use their promo code Pewter when you do. So, John. Having said that, I don't think there's a prop bet quite yet about Antonio Brown's return to Tampa Bay. But what do you think? Do you think that do you think that they would uh, would have Antonio Brown back next year? No, you can't give the guy guaranteed money. I mean, that's the yeah. with the whole offseason between him and next season being in the Bucks facility. You just can't do it. I mean, and plus, you you know, you're gonna prioritize Godwin and eventually. I mean, Scotty Miller's ready, like he's he was ready and playing great, and then you signed AB and. It was, it, you know, I get it. You're trying to make a run this year. I, I totally, I understood why they did it. I just didn't think it was necessarily worth the risk. I still feel the same way. Again, it's not been disruptive to the team so far. That's great. I hope that continues. But, you know, I think Scotty Miller would have been great for this team too. And, you know, the one thing AB brings, like I've said, is the ability to make people miss after the catch. That is not really a trait the Bucks have had uh, in most of their wide receivers uh, on this roster. So that's something he's brought. And I think he's done a pretty solid job of that. And so, um, I like that. Uh, how do you feel about the offensive play calling yesterday? Really like the use of play action and the quick release plays in the second half. They were unstoppable. Scott, I don't know if you saw this today, but I was sending this to the group chat um, for the pewter report, uh, a pewter report that I looked at the stats for play action and the Bucks ran play action on more plays than they had all season in a game. But yeah. they were very unsuccessful in play action. It was the outlier game of the year. Yeah. They finally actually went to double-digit play action passes, and there were 12 yeah. of them. And it was successful for them uh, in this game. I mean, well, there were certain instances. They should run more often, so they practice it more in games, and it becomes more successful, right? The more yes. you do it, oh. the more you are. I mean, yes, right. Clearly an outlier. Clearly right. an outlier based on the larger sample size. But it was – I think Brady was 3 for 12 – on play action passes, and he only had 14 incompletions all game. So you do the math. Mike Evans, one of those was a drop by Mike Evans on a play action yeah. pass. We have basically we have to look at uh, you know eight unsuccessful plays off play action. 
I've looked at about half of those so far, and pretty much every single one, Josh Wells is getting beat like a drum, and that's why the play didn't work. I mean, Brady's turned around, play action, and pressure's literally right in his face. So the Grady Jarrett sack at the end of the game was a play action, and Josh Wells gets beat. And and and, and in the first half, most of those were in the first half where they were, you know, that wasn't working at all. They stuck with it in the second half, came out into 20 yarder on the play, second half play action. There were certainly good things off play action. Um, Atlanta being able to defend deep the way that they did off play action was good by them, and it was good for the Bucks that Brady didn't force it into those windows early on in the game. Instead, took some stuff underneath a couple times, or at one point of the ball, I think, to um, threw the ball away maybe twice on play actions where Wells was beaten and he had to get rid of it. So yeah. there was kind of they, it could have been worse results because of the way it was defended early in the game. Then later in the game, they started getting better results off of it. Um, but yeah, it's the play action. I think Haley's right that you know that the play action was a good call, and I think that they right. came out with a good game plan in this game. I actually really liked the play calling for the most part in this game. There were a couple instances where, again, they got back to these runs on first down that wasted plays. The screen, I don't mind the play call, but execution has been so bad all year, and I do think that does go back to coaching to a degree. But there were a lot of things I liked in this game about the way the Bucks attacked the Falcons. Remember, they moved into Atlanta territory twice on drives in the first yeah. half. They had them stall out. There were some right. issues with protection that they cleaned up at halftime. The Falcons did some things I think they weren't expecting. But mm-hmm. I think I do think from a play-calling perspective, they approached the game the right way. Not everything worked and clicked in the first half but they really didn't deviate from it a ton other than answers to pressure. They had different answers to pressure in the second half, and that's really what kept them from from those negative plays that plagued them in the first half. John, it's really interesting. Eric uh, Cullison brings up something. Khalil Davis needs to learn and step up. Ledbetter, Jeremiah Ledbetter, is a good backup, but hasn't flashed enough to be a starter. Well, the interesting thing is this, John. This is something you noted. We talked about it in our PR group chat. Um Khalil Davis saw a pretty sizable amount of snaps as that rotational defensive lineman inside against the Rams. Chiefs, and, I think. Against the Chiefs, yeah, against the Chiefs. Chiefs right. and, and then against the Vikings, it was Pat O'Connor who got yes. sacked. <laughs> and then this game, it was Jeremiah Ledbetter. It's just kind of unreal. It's been like like a bit of a three-card Monty between those, yeah. those three players. It's a rotational thing. And, and the interesting thing is, is maybe Indominus Sue returns next year. He's actually having a pretty good year. I think he's having yep. a better year this year than he did last year. Mm-hmm. He's more comfortable in this in this scheme. Um, but gosh, looks like he's going to be 33 years old next year. They can't afford him at eight million. Uh, even even if he gets talked into coming back at five million, you only have him for one more year. If you know Davis is a guy that flashes with his quickness, I'm just surprised that at this point he hasn't shown enough to become that kind of permanent third wheel in that rotation behind uh, what's really it's the fourth guy. But inside, you've yeah. got McCullough, you've got Raheem Nunez, Roches, and Sue. And, you know, I'd like to see Khalil Davis get some more playing time, especially because he didn't have a preseason, you know? I mean, he, yeah. he I completely agree. It's a great point by Eric. I am very confused as the approach. You know, I'm not saying it's not the end of the world, but – this fifth defensive who's active for these games is typically playing about 20 to some 18 to 23 snaps last couple of weeks a game. So that's a decent chunk. You know, you're asking them to get some pressure. And, and Khalil Davis has played the best at all those guys. You know, Pat O'Connor's done some good things. Jeremiah Ledbetter's honestly done some good things. I don't think any of those guys have been have been bad. So it's not like it's killed them, you know, going all three. I just don't understand it. Like, 
I, I like Khalil Davis in my mind didn't do anything watching him on tape to not earn more reps, and then I think right. he's been inactive the last two weeks. And yeah. and other you know, and, and Pat O'Connor played well, got his first curse sack. I mean, he was playing fine, you know what I mean? And yeah. and then he's inactive, and Ledbetter's up, and I think Ledbetter played fine too. It's just weird. I don't understand, you know. And he's yeah. right, like. You need players to develop. The two oldest defensive tackles in the NFL to take a snap this season are Steve McLennan and Dominican Sue. Like you yeah. got to start de- developing and some of your younger players. Chance that, that neither one of those guys is in Tampa next year. You can't count on him. Certainly not McLennan. I think he's right. He's a kind of a, of a rental player this year, and then he'll probably retire. Yeah. He'll probably there. retire or comes back to Tampa in a year. Was yeah. Was you know kind of where Greg and I were at the other day when we talked about it, but. I, I, you know, again, like you don't want really Indomitian Sue playing every passing down like he has to this year without Bea. You'd love to keep him way more fresh and have other, you know, bodies that you can rotate in that can give you something on passing downs. So the Bucks defensive line is the top priority in the offseason, in my opinion. Like they have to get younger, they have to get more athletic. I think they took that step with Khalil Davis. They knew it wasn't as big a priority. They had other things that they had to get in the draft, and they did. Can't fill every need every offseason. But the I think Davis is a step in the right direction. What happened, Khalil Davis? If you don't play him, exactly I right. I don't understand right. why why he's playing as opposed to Ledbetter. Maybe I've got a I got a you know send that question up the, the totem pole at one buck in your place. So yeah. How about Josh Wells, John? How did he do? Brandon Stump eight wants to know. Didn't seem like there was much drop-off from Smith uh, to Wells. The one thing that I will I will point out is the Falcons' defensive line. They didn't have Marlon Davidson. Um, you know, Dante Fowler has been a shell of his former self. He has not been the impact player they'd hoped. This is a, a Falcons team that does not really have much up front other than Grady Jarrett, who plays inside not against your left tackle. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget, there's two failed first-round draft picks, Tack McKinley and Vic Beasley, who aren't even in Atlanta anymore. So they really don't have uh, right. the, the edge guys that are really going to test uh, a player like Josh Wells, although Wells did give up a sack, right, uh, on, uh, on the mm-hmm. play-action pass. Yeah, no, he was okay. Um, you know, he didn't get him okay. killed. Uh he was, you know, the, again, the play action stuff he really struggled with, which is really ironic because that's usually like in there to help offensive linemen, you know, and give yeah. the Falcons some credit. They did kind of tee off against the Bucks play action. I think they just didn't really care if they were going to overrun it in the run game, um, yeah. especially without Ronald Jones in the game. So I think they they did kind of make it. I think they surprised him a few times, uh, surprised the Bucks in general a couple times with the way that they just kind of blasted up field off play action. There weren't money run reads. They were just kind of, we're going to stop the Bucks passing game or else. So, that disrupted right. it for a few guys. Wells didn't – I wouldn't say he played well. Five pressures in the game, gave up a sack. Um, but he was good enough, especially like on some of the straight right. dropbacks. You know, he he was good enough for sure. And like you said, the Falcons don't really have starting caliber edge defenders other than Fowler. And, man, he is a shell of himself. Watching yeah. him was just like, I don't even know if this guy he's wants to be guy. out of here. Like, he's he's, he's always been kind of a roller coaster dude. Yeah. So I don't know what he even – if he wants to be out there or whatever. But – yeah, I think that was kind of one of the keys in the game was Wells not being bad enough to to kill them, you know. And so I, you know, obviously I want Donovan Smith back, but you know he, he held his own in this one against some lower level competition. And honestly, I don't know what Smith's situation is, but the Lions aren't a, aren't a great pass rushing team either. Right. Um, and so you know it's kind of like they finish up the season against some weaker teams. So if there's game to be without Smith, it's probably these ones. Yeah. So Terrence Davis asked John and Scott. Can you guys think of any reason why Carlton Davis and other corners are playing 12 to 15 yards off so much? Well, I think 15 yards is an exaggeration. It's more like 10 yards sometimes, but but that's still a concern. Um, I, I don't understand the 
the fascination, the crush that Todd Bowles has with with playing zone coverage so much. And and, and playing zones one thing, but but gosh, playing ten yards off, it it just you know what if if you had Brent Grimes playing ten years off, where he's a very instinctive guy in his prime that that loves to jump routes, he likes to set up guys by playing off. And then, you know, reading the quarterback's eyes and having that quick initial burst, that that quick twitchiness to make a play, that's fine. Carlton Davis is not that kind of player at all. Neither right. is Jamel Dean. Jamel Dean's a straight line guy. He's not even like a quick shifty guy that has that ability to backpedal, transition, and then come up and, and make a play. To his credit, he did that against the Packers. I'm not saying he can't do it, but he can't do it to the degree that some of these, these smaller uh, shiftier cornerbacks can. Sean Murphy Bunting is the same way. The bottom line is, is whether Sean Murphy Bunting at Central Michigan or Jamel Dean and Carlton Davis at Auburn, they played in a press man scheme. That's right. what they do best. And you know what happened in the fourth quarter? And, and Bruce Arians even talked about it today in his, in his press conference, John. Uh, they played a little bit more man. Now they played a lot more man in the second half, and it worked, especially in the fourth quarter because mm-hmm. Matt Ryan was holding on to the ball because – you go back and look at the all 22 in that fourth quarter. It was absolutely uh, just completely locked down. The, the, yeah. on a couple of those sacks that Devin White had, there was nowhere for Matt Ryan to throw the ball to. And mm-hmm. I just don't understand why this team doesn't play more man coverage because it's what these players do best. Right. It's uh, I think one of the most curious things is, is the lack of press. Like you said, even if you're going to press bail, you know, it helps you just in terms of giving looks to different quarterbacks, you know, at the line of scrimmage, you know, they're anticipating routes beforehand. So when you're playing off as much as the Bucks play off, they know kind of some easy stuff to get them going. They're going to go to certain routes that are going to be free, free yards uh, on those plays. I'm not saying you never play it, but on first and 10, on, sec- on second and, sh- and shorter, you know, on, on second and seven, things like that, like it's got to be situational. Like, so with the Bucks have a great press man corner in Carlton Davis, and he's been awesome this year for the most part when he's asked to play press, but he's just rarely asked to play it. Uh, he doesn't play press very often this season. And so because of it, he's been in some really, really difficult spots. Again, you have to give some level of ground against vertical releases, but if you're an off and they break that route off and they're a guy like Calvin Ridley who can change directions like that, like there's just not money. I mean, you have to be Jair Alexander type closing burst on the ball to make play. It's just you, you, you just what? aren't put in position to succeed. The by thing this. is, is the Bucks had Brian Kelly back in the day, and he was tremendous at jamming. And granted, they played a lot of, of Tampa too. It wasn't man that much. And Brian Kelly was a man corner at USC, but they used him in in the Tampa too. And the reason why he was so effective as a man corner playing zone is because. You know, part of that that Tampa two is you reroute the receiver, especially inside. You push him towards the linebacker and the safety, and and you disrupt that timing. You don't give that guy free release. And Brian Kelly, there were times where he literally just stoned guys at the line of scrimmage. They could not get off the line. And when you've got some guys like Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean that have long arms, they're both six foot one. I am shocked that they don't do more press man at the line of scrimmage and just rerouting guys and. If you're gonna if you're gonna play zone, then then at least get up there and jam it. But they don't do that. They give them this cushion, mm-hmm. and it's kind of frustrating. Uh, as right. we're winding down this this podcast, John, if the Eagles move Wait, on. Can we touch? Can we touch on the, the? I want to touch on the Sean Murphy bunting topic right before we yeah, switch sure. gears to Wentz, yeah. just because I think this ties in exactly okay. what we're talking about. Do the Bucks go to the draft again if they decide to replace Sean Murphy bunting or free agency? Very interesting question because 
they really want to believe in Sean Murphy bunting. But I asked Bruce Arians straight up today, like about Sean Murphy bunting, what's his level of play? Like, it seems to us like he struggled and Bruce, you know, I give him credit for this. Like, you know, he's answering our questions at least. I know people like, Oh, he throws players into the bus. I don't think that's it. Players love Bruce Arians. I'm not worried about, you know, what he says, to the media affecting them. Like, but I think he's on, you know, he was like, we expect him to play a lot better. And I think that's a fair way. If you can't say that as a head coach, like what are we even doing with these press conferences? Right. Like, you know, it's better than Todd Bull saying yeah. he's been awesome for us this year. Like, we know that's not the case. So, like, you, right. you're not helping anyone. Like, you know what I mean? So, I appreciate him saying it. And I think, he, you know, he said good things about Sean, but he also yeah. said yeah, he's got to play better. And I think that's yeah. the reality. Like, it is. It's going to next season with him as the guy. I mean, I just – you you yeah. have to have at least competition for him. And, obviously, I think, Dean, you do right. When he's got to fix some things, but his things are fixable. And right. he makes high-end plays on the ball. He's shown right. instincts. He's shown a ton of promise. You Here's haven't even seen – even Murphy Bunting's – highs are really not that high scott yeah. so i'm just not sure what you're betting on my my concern is jamel dean is built like an outside corner i think he's a better outside corner than sean murphy bunting is and of right. course that's where carlton davis thrives in the outside in my opinion those are your two outside corners i think sean murphy bunting is an outside corner i think he's a better outside corner than he is in the slot and because there's just too much going on there's too much to read and process in the middle of the field than there is down the sidelines and so, in my opinion, um, I think they need to go get another cornerback, but one that really can play at the slot and, and really sure. challenge Murphy Bunting. And, and if Murphy Bunting ends up being the third outside cornerback in the rotation, then okay. But I think you have to draft a guy next year and challenge him. Speaking of next year, Carson Wentz, did the, did the Eagles move on from Carson Wentz? And would would he be a good heir apparent to Tom Brady? I, you know, right now they've got Josh Rosen. Wow. This is a Josh question Rosen. I didn't imagine if we would have fielded this question, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> the beginning of the year, you could not have paid me to think that right. we would get this one. Uh, there's just no way. I mean, first of all, Wentz's contract is ridiculous. There's yeah. He's immovable unless he were like to literally like say, I don't know if you can sign something and say like, I'm out of my contract. And if he does that, it's only to go somewhere to start. Right. So it's just not going to happen. It's just a non-starter, yeah. you know. I mean, ideally, you know, you'd, you'd want somebody talented as your backup, you know, and young. Um, but yeah, it's not going to happen in Tampa Bay. Yeah. Um, and I know somebody asked about Eric asked about Josh Rosen too, and yeah. we don't really know. He's not getting to play much right now, even in practice. Yeah, so there's not much to practice. report there. He's a practice guy playing the opponent's defense. He's not even running to uh, Bruce Arians' offense in practice. So right. it's really hard to evaluate what he can do in the Bucks' offense because he's not running the Bucks' offense. Mm -hmm. Nate Pitts, I wish PR live stream was going uh, the day that Winston threw all of his picks uh, versus Cincinnati two years ago. Mark lost his mind in the pod. <laughs> that is what, remind me of this game. How many picks were in this game? Uh, he, I think he threw four, including a pick six. and Cincinnati? Yes, against Cincinnati. It was a game they should have won. And yeah, it was Cincinnati. Awful. It was it was an absolute meltdown game. The funny thing is, I, I think I texted Jason Light on first down and, and I said, This is during the game. I know I texted the PR staff, but I, I, I think I texted Jason and I said I said, um, uh, pick six coming here, you know. <laughs> Because their books were backed up. Like Bro, you got credibility to say that to Jason. I would never be saying that. <laughs> I'd get maybe, maybe maybe I said that after the game. I don't know, but I I remember I remember texting the group yeah. chat sure, and and I I just it came out of first down and, and he'd already thrown I think three interceptions that, at that point, and I just said 
this is it. He's in the downward spiral. I've seen this movie before. It just starred Trent Dilfer back in the day. This is the remake with Jameis Winston, and it's called The Downward Spiral. Scott, there's still people out there trying to make arguments each and every week about how Jameis Winston would have been lighting it up better than Brady for the Bucs this year. It's pretty – Twitter is an incredible, incredible place. Jameis, one of one, that psychopath was in my mentions this past week. Oh, my, that man. Yeah. Uh, he needs help. I hope he gets it. Uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick led a daring comeback that fell short, 37 to 34. Ryan Fitzpatrick was the last time the Steelers played them. He was out there, and yeah. that was a heck of a game. I mean, that game was a back and forth the whole way. That was the Vance McDonald stiff arm game on. Was it Chris Conti? Oh my! Yes, that's right. Yeah, that, that ended. Conti. They they they, uh, they photoshopped Trevor's face and onto Conti after the game, and my yeah. face onto Vance McDonald. <laughs> yeah, Jameis Winston that game just to just to re. Uh, recap the the Bucks Bengals game. The Bengals um, won 37-34. Ryan Fitzpatrick came in, and the Bucks were down twenty-seven to nine at halftime. And the Bucks scored eighteen points in the fourth quarter, but just came up short. They outscored the Bengals in the second half, twenty-five to ten. But see, they didn't have Tom Brady engineering that comeback. They had Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was eleven of fifteen for 194 yards and two touchdowns at the end of that game, but it just was not enough for the Buccaneers. Mike Evans had a huge day, six catches, 179 yards, including a 72-yard touchdown. Even Deshaun Jackson had a 60-yard touchdown catch from Jameis Winston that day. But, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, that, that, that was, that was kind of the, the Fitz magic, uh, the, the beginning of Fitz magic. That was, uh, that was a little run there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He he had he had he had his run in Tampa. It was it was interesting for sure. Good guy. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that he's still still playing to a degree. You know, right? Yeah, exactly. No, I think uh, there was good. Uh, Nate says here uh, need to get Trevor on the live stream. Somebody tweeted. Somebody commented this earlier, and they said they were terrified. You know, the Bucks went down seventeen nothing in the first half, yeah. and Trevor was in Tampa Bay area uh, yesterday. He had flown in that morning. And they yep. were like, this is it. If, if the Bucs don't come back and win this game, right. he's never coming back. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking that during the game. Yeah. I was like, if the Bucs lose, I'm going to have a heck of a tweet ready for Trevor for being <laughs> in this state uh, today. Uh, but they came back and won, so, which I'm happier about. Uh, yeah, got to get out of here, Trevor. Get out of here. <laughs> but um, Trevor will get on the last room. We'll have him on here. Yeah, don't worry we'll about definitely it. have him on. Gary Buff, uh, you guys had a meltdown last year after Carolina or the Texans game. I think it was Gary the Texans. Uh, the, Texans well, game? Yeah, I think it was the Texans game. Um, yeah, it was it was bad uh, after the Panthers game, but I wasn't on the podcast for that. I was, actually, Mark and I were we were in London flying back, so I know that wasn't the game, but it was it was the Texans game. That was a game where Winston also threw four picks, including a pick six, and they should have won that game. So, and yes, uh, the good news is Terrence is right. Yes, with Tom Brady, you finished the daring comebacks against bad teams. It's done against the Chargers, the Panthers, and now the Falcons, John. And, and hey, they almost did it against the Chiefs. We're gonna come back. Chiefs. We're gonna come back and talk about that second half at some point in yep. the offseason because there was a lot of good things there. You know, again, like I think they had some really unlucky moments in that game. I, I just think that the Chiefs are a good team that they match up better with than a lot of people think. I mean, oh, defensively, yeah. they're you know hoping a prayer. But again, it's about what the offense can do. And when, when you're playing Kansas City, it's about really what the offense can do. And and I think the Bucs can honestly do a lot of good things. They just 
had a couple unlucky moments in a game where they really moved the ball well for the most part. So anyway. And the thing is, is I had a couple of unlucky moments with my previous insurance company. And then you know what I did, John? I called Briar called Greaves. Briar Greaves. I yes. did. I called Briar Greaves. And all of a sudden, my fortunes turned around. You know, a lot of homeowner companies are canceling. They're not renewing their policies. They're, some of them are even leaving Florida and leaving homeowners stranded. Or they're increasing premiums significantly. Call Briar Greaves and speak directly to Briar or Sam for a personalized touch for information on the best rates. Call Briar Greaves. You can also find them on the web at briargreaves.com. They're a family-owned and operated business that has served the greater Tampa Bay area for over 30 years. And not just for homeowners, but for auto owners, for boat owners, for life insurance policies, for commercial insurance, and even for flood insurance, which is a big thing here in the state of Florida. The folks at Briar Greaves Insurance, they're big fans of the Peter Report podcast. So if you call them up and say, hey, Briar, hey, Sam, I am Scott Reynolds, and I listen to the Peter Report podcast even when I'm not on. And I listen to John and Greg Allman from last Thursday. And uh, they're going to start talking Bucks football with you. Then you're going to say, hey, this is awesome, but tell me about your insurance rates. And they're going to go, oh, yeah, we'll tell you about that too. So these are the guys to call. They're proud sponsors of the Peter Report podcast. They're going to take great care of you just like they took great care of me. And uh, all you got to do is give them a call, 813-876-4166. That's 813-876-4166. Or visit that cool website, briargreavesinsurance.com. All right, Scott, we got draft questions. I know we're about out of time for the show, but Eric Collison wants to know, is the tackle from Virginia Tech a left tackle? Only from what I've seen, but I have to watch a lot more, Eric. I'm going to be honest. Like I have, I literally said when everybody was opting out and college football was basically this abbreviated thing, you know, honestly, I was like, I'm going to watch it live when it's on and when there's good games, but I'm not watching Clemson playing, you know, whoever, you know, the bottom feeder team. I don't want to insult right. anybody's fan base bottom feeder team in the ACC, you know, four games out of the year and then having a draft take from it. Like I'm going to have yeah. to go back and watch guys tape from last year. You know, most of these teams have one, two good games against good competition. Um, so there's just a lot of weeding through the mud. And yeah. last year I waited until draft season. I didn't have any takes going into draft season for the most part. I mean, obviously I seen Trevor Lawrence, he's good, you know, but right. I didn't have any takes. And I felt like it was easily my best draft as an evaluator. I mean, even just watching players this year, it was my, I felt like it was my best that I'd evaluated because I didn't have those preconceived notions to kind of hang on to as I got new information. Psychologically, it was easier for me to kind of just say, okay, like I'm going in fresh and yeah. just kind of with all the information at once, being able to make decisions about how I feel about players. So that's kind of how I'm approaching it this year, trying to focus all in on the NFL and then shift gears to the draft, but we are going to have takes on takes. It's going to be a very, very fun off season on the Peter report podcast. So again, make sure you're subscribed, Peter Port TV, subscribe, hit the bell, get the notifications for when we go live. We are going to have an amazing off season four times a week. We're going to be bringing this podcast to you. We're talking box free agency trades off season, the future of the team cap situations. And of course the draft where we'll be scouting players sometimes live on the show. We'll be just be doing all kinds of stuff. We're going to have amazing guests, it's yes. going to be that's going to be the time of year. I think we're you know this time of year you kind of know what we're going to talk about for the most part. You come in here to hear our opinions, but we're going to have all well, kinds of ground to cover in the offseason. You know what, John? I got to agree with you because this year I, I'm probably as least prepped for the draft right now as I've been in maybe a decade. And the reason yeah, is, we got playoffs. <laughs> we got the playoffs to talk about. Usually, 
I'm doing SR's Fab Fives in October, you know, looking at what would potential top 10 picks uh, the Bucks might be interested in. So it's it's refreshing uh, not to have to dive in, into college yet. Sometimes I feel like we cover so much of that stuff in, in years past, in November and December, that we're kind of running out of, of material to write about in February and in March. We're not even into April, right, which is the month the draft is in, because we've already written about so many guys. So it's actually fun this year to to see this team, you know, try to make its way to the playoffs. And let's keep in mind, um, you know, the Buccaneers, that might be picking in the 20s. They might be picking 30, 31. Oh, my. Oh, we know. Let's go, and, Scott. He said 32. I'm just – it's a possibility. It's a possibility. Sure. They're still eligible for the 32nd pick. So we'll have to wait and see. Uh, and yeah. But, but yeah, uh, Christian Darasaw is the guy you're talking about, mm-hmm. um, the left tackle. And I've seen him play one time, and, and I'm impressed, but it, that's just one game. So i got to go back and dive into this stuff. And we're going to do a lot of that diving in, John, once the season's over. And you know what, John? This season might not be over until mid-January, late January, dare, dare I say February. We'll have to see. But plenty of drafts. Uh, coverage, just as John was talking about on the Peter Report podcast and PeterReport.com. A quick reminder, uh, we'll be back Wednesday with our famous Pewter Prediction podcast. Um, we got Bucks-Lions this week to talk about. Some yeah. familiar opponent. They played the Lions last couple of years, including last year in Detroit. Sean Murphy Bunting had a, a big pick six in that game. Maybe he finds his confidence. So we have that coming up at 4 o'clock. There will not be a Thursday podcast. Because we're giving John um, Thursday off uh, to to wrap presents and spend time with his family on Christmas Eve, but we're going to be back on Saturday, Saturday at seven thirty. So that's when the Bucks play Saturday at one o'clock. If you're thinking about the Bucks playing on Sunday, don't because they play on Saturday, day after Christmas. So we'll be back tomorrow at four o'clock, the Wednesday preview podcast, and then Saturday at seven thirty at night recapping Bucks lines and hopefully by then John we can say the Bucks have clinched the playoffs. Yep. 4 p.m. Eastern Eric is when we'll be going live on Wednesday. Uh 4 p.m. Eastern uh is when we'll be live. So uh so yeah definitely come check us out uh, as we preview that Lions game. Uh again that's the big one right Scott because you know we we've just touched on this briefly to close out the podcast. Bucks win against the Lions and they win against the Falcons. They are in control here. They for the fifth seed they can win here uh, and get a matchup in the first round. Some would call it favorable with the right. NFC East champ, who is probably going to be Washington unless something surprising happens. We'll see. I mean, Haskins is a quarterback right now, but again, I mean, I don't care. You don't want to play anybody in the playoffs. Everybody can say, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to face this team. I don't want to face, right. you want to, like, you want to face Washington. Like I, you just yeah. do. Like, I mean, it doesn't mean you'll win. It just means that that's who you want to face. And so right. play them and then you see how everything else shakes out. But again, you're looking at a situation where if all the high seeds win, in the right. first round, the Bucks would be in, in, in the seed stay as they are now, Green Bay keeping the first seed, which they play Tennessee next week. So that might we'll see what ends up happening. But uh, if you're looking at it that way, then the Bucks would be traveling to Green Bay in, in the yep. second round. If they were to beat Washington, they would be traveling to Green Bay, who obviously they beat 38 to 10. I don't know if we'll expect a repeat score, but Especially at the same time, who's in tundra of Lambeau Field. And we want to appreciate everybody who gave the super chats today. We had a lot of those come in. Especially Eric Cullison again. Appreciate your service. Good luck with your deployment. Uh, Bigger and eight four nine gets the last super chat end of the day. Uh, I'm just here for the super chat recognition. We appreciate you always, Bigger and eight four nine. I brought up the Steelers today. Bigger and smarting a little bit. I'm sorry, Bigger. <laughs> 
But no, we appreciate you all so much. And we'll be back Wednesday, 4 p.m. Eastern. We'll have tons to break down in this Lions box matchup that could be a playoff clincher for the box. Exciting stuff on the day after Christmas. So make sure at 4 p.m. Wednesday, you're back with us on the Pewter Report podcast. Thanks so much listening and tuning in today for another edition of the Pewter Report podcast. Out. Out.